Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed entered that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day calling it today. When a long time later he spoke through David as was said before. Today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And there ends our reading. In the ancient world, Jewish people were labelled as lazy because they didn't work one day in seven. Then, as is increasingly the case again now, society tended to work a seven-day week. And although people probably took some time off somewhere along the line, the idea of having a specific day set aside on which everybody rested seemed to be totally bizarre. So the Roman historian Tacitus says of the Jewish people, they are said to have devoted the seventh day to rest because that day brought an end to their troubles. Later, finding idleness alluring, they gave up the seventh year as well to sloth. He's here misrepresenting the idea of the Sabbath year, the year in which they were to give the land a rest so that it didn't become exhausted from over farming, a lesson that we seem to be in danger of forgetting today. But there you go, because they thought rest was important and built it into their weekly routine and their agricultural cycle, they were branded as being lazy. Yet for them, the principle of having a day off a week was enshrined in the story of creation. As Hebrews makes clear, in the creation story, God spends six days working, making the earth and everything in it, and on the seventh day, he rests so that he can relax and enjoy what he's made. And in Exodus 35, God tells the people that the seventh day will be their holy day, a Sabbath of rest 
dedicated to the Lord. So God is aware of the need and importance of rest. In the opening part of the Old Testament, you you find the focus is very much upon God's promise to give the land of Canaan to the children of Abraham, the, the people he's chosen to be his very own. And the land of Canaan is to be for them a place of rest. He promised Abraham in a covenant that he would give his children the land they would call their own. And when he rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, his purpose was to bring them into the promised land where they would be able to enjoy peace, security and rest. The land of Canaan was to be their inheritance, a place where they would be able to rest in safety. That was God's plan. As you read through the opening books of the Old Testament, you see that they took possession of the land under Joshua, but they never really enjoyed peace and security there and rest from their enemies until the time of David and Solomon. And it was under David that their enemies were finally defeated, and in the time of his son Solomon, the temple was built supposedly as a permanent resting place for God, a place to store the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence among his people. And at the dedication of the temple, Solomon could pray thanking God that he had given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised, and that not one word had failed of all the good promises he'd given through his servant Moses. It seemed like they had finally arrived. And yet, and yet, Apollos or Barnabas or whoever it was that wrote Hebrews disagrees. He quotes Psalm 95 that uh, Lydia read to us earlier. It's a psalm that was attributed to David and which warns people that today, if they hear God's voice, they shouldn't harden their hearts because if they allow their hearts to become hardened to God's word, then they will be like the generation who died after 40 years in the wilderness and never entered the promised land. Why? Because God was angry with them and he swore that they would never enter his rest. Why was he angry with them? Because they did not believe his word. Instead of receiving the word of God with faith, their hearts were hardened. So hang about, says the writer to the Hebrews. If God was saying that through David when the people were living in the land in peace and security, that must mean that they hadn't yet arrived at God's final destination. If God is saying, just be careful because you'll be like the people who never enter my rest, they can't have arrived at God's rest already. They couldn't put their feet up and say, job done. We're in the land, we're living at peace, that's all right, we can just rest and relax now. Nothing more can happen. This, is not, this, is, this was the end of history as far as they're concerned. Not so, says God. God hadn't finished with them yet. They still needed to listen for his voice. They still needed to believe his promises. They still had to keep on moving forwards in obedience and trust in God. And the rest of the Old Testament is the story of how they actually failed to do that. Even though they were in the land, the land that the wilderness generation failed to reach under Moses' leadership, they still weren't prepared to believe God's word when it came to them. And that was serious. Because unless God's word meets with an answering response of faith in our hearts, it's ineffective. That's a scary thought. God's word is immensely powerful. The creation story has him summon the world into being by a word of command. Yet when God speaks his word to us, if we don't believe it, 
It's of no value to us. That raises an interesting question, really. If God promises something and it doesn't happen because we don't believe him, does that mean that God's word fails? No, not at all, is the answer Hebrews gives. Hebrews affirms that the word of God is living and active like a two-edged sword. It cuts right to the core of our very being, piercing through soul and spirit, joints and marrow, cutting us open and exposing our souls, our innermost nature, our thoughts and our feelings to the scrutiny of God. And our response to God's word reveals us for who we are. If his word of promise meets with faith in our hearts, then his promise to us is fulfilled. If his word of promise meets with unbelief in our hearts, then it functions as a word of judgment against us. That's why God's word is a two-edged sword, bringing salvation or judgment depending on our response to it. It never fails It achieves its purpose one way or the other, but the outcome is dependent on our response. So when God's word comes to you, how do you respond? Do you respond with faith and obedience, or a lack of faith and disobedience? In the first case, God's promise to us brings salvation. In the second, our rejection of that promise brings judgment. That's what happened to the generation that left Egypt. They never made it to the promised land because they didn't believe God's word. And Hebrews says that those who did get into the land ultimately didn't believe God's word either. And God said of them that they would never enter his rest. The point is that the promised land was not the be-all and end-all of God's purposes for his people. They thought they'd arrived. They thought once they were a land, that was it. They could put their feet up. But the promised land was only designed to be a temporary staging post on their journey towards God's ultimate place of rest, which we know to be heaven. The place where they would finally be able to enjoy rest in the presence of God himself. And we need to hear that. Because we need to keep moving forward as well. We can't say, well, time for us to put our feet up, time to relax and rest. We've come as far as we're going to come. No, we need to keep on moving forward. We cannot allow our hearts to become hardened to God's word to us. We are, if you like, like pawns on God's chessboard. And it is in his sovereign purpose to keep moving us forward until we finally reach the point where one way or another we are crowned in his presence. Until that happens, none of us gets our spiritual P45. It's always tempting to treat a significant milestone as if it were the end of the journey. So I'm aware of how much hard work and sacrifice and vision and energy have gone into the creation and the building of these premises in which we meet tonight. And it's great that we are no longer in debt to any third party over the building, but does that mean that as a church we have arrived? Of course it doesn't. It just means it is one stage on our journey that we have successfully completed and God is preparing to lead us on to the next stage. And ongoing issues with the building remind us that there is no perfection this side of heaven. It can be the same with us sometimes. In our own lives we might feel that we've reached the end of the road. I've done as much as I can now, as much as I want to, as much as I'm able to. We may feel sometimes that God has set us 
on one side and God has no further purposes for us. Not true. Not the case. We haven't arrived at the place of rest yet. We haven't arrived at a place where God has made us redundant. God still has an ongoing purpose and task for us all to fulfil. There will be times of rest. There will be times of relaxation. There will be breaks when we can get a much-needed recharge of our batteries. But that is so that God can re-enlist us in his service, perhaps to go back to what we were doing before, perhaps to do something different. But his call remains upon us. We are never released from his service and his claim upon our lives, this side of glory. There's that hymn, isn't there? Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees. A work that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We are continued to call, we're continually called to be active in God's service. Retirement, an ever-receding prospect for many of us. But I've chatted to a number of ministers on the South Coast who just despair because South Coast is, is Costa Geriatrica. And, you know, people move down the South Coast and, and they come into church and they're welcomed to the membership and he says, now, the minister says, now, what would you like to do? Bill, I've retired, they said. I've done the stint, I've come here, I, I've, I've just come here to, to put my feet up and just to enjoy a rest. Oh, yes, for a while. But there is no permanent retirement from God's service this side of glory. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? I'm not, I'm not singling people out here who need a rest and say, you can't have one, because we do need that break. Remember that the, the principle of having a rest and restoration is enshrined in the creation story, and God recognises our need for a break. Nor do I want to give the impression that God is some slave driver who relentlessly gives his people no rest. Sabbath rest is part of God's good creation audience. God knows that we need periods of rest and renewal, but he does this so that we can be refreshed and equipped to serve him again. And if there's been a fallow period in your life, just recognise that the time will come when God will say, actually, now is the time for you to begin to do this or that or something different. Because none of us is ever redundant in the service of God. Our permanent destination still lies ahead of us and we need to be prepared to move forward when God summons us to do so. If we stop where we are and dig our heels in, if we keep looking over our shoulders back to where we have been, then we are like the wilderness generation who wanted to go back to Egypt because they were comfortable with knowing what they knew in the past. They knew where they'd been and it was a lot less scary to them than an uncertain and intimidating future. But our future belongs to God. And there is nothing there that scares him and he calls us to trust him and move forward. So my question to you tonight is, what's next? What is God calling you to do? What is his word to you? Is there a promise he wants you to believe? Is there some new responsibility he's calling you to take on board? Is it time to get up from where you have been resting and to move forward to the next phase of God's purposes for your life? I don't know. 
But I do know that the God who sees into the hearts of each and every one of us knows what his purposes for us are and how ready we may be to undertake them. The really scary thing is that we have the power to say no to God. We can harden our hearts against the omnipotent God, dig our heels in and refuse to trust and obey because we like it where we are or because we prefer the past to the future. We can do that. Or we can hear God's word and we can say, Lord, yes. It's scary. I can't see clearly what the next step will be. But I offer you my life. I may feel inadequate. But Lord, Take me and use me and lead me to the next phase in your purposes for me. Because God is calling us to make the journey home to him, to our last and final resting place in glory. We will need rests along the way. On a long car journey, when you are tired and hungry, even motorway service stations can look appealing. If you're tired and hungry enough and provide a welcome break. But you'd never think of living there, would you? Between here and heaven, God has put in place lots of resting places. But they're only temporary. They're not places for us to spend the rest of our lives. To some of you here tonight, God will be calling you to get ready for the next stage of your spiritual journey, to trust him, to obey him, to follow his guidance into the future he's prepared for you. Don't give up. Others of you, others of you, it's time for rest. You've pushed too hard, too fast, for too long. Recognise that there needs to be a break as well. Some of you will come and cut one category, others of you into another. But recognise that the pattern of rest and moving forward, of rest and moving forward, is part of the way in which God deals with us. It's never going backwards. It's never staying where we are forever. It's being open to God, to his leading and his guiding and his word. And if you feel like you've had enough, ask someone to pray with you and to talk it through with you because we are all in this together and none of us has arrived at our final destination yet. We all have a long way to go. But we do belong to a God who is faithful. And if we trust him, he will get us to our appointed destination. Because that's what he wants for us. And if we're prepared to trust him, he will achieve his purposes in us and for us and through us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that it is your purpose for us to bring us to your appointed rest. Thank you for a job well done in creation that you can enjoy the beauty of the world that you've made. Thank you for all the work and care that you put in to creating us. Thank you for the gifts and abilities that you've given to us and for your calling upon our lives, that you use us in our weakness, despite our failings, Thank you for the privilege of working in partnership with you. Thank you that you're not a slave driver. Thank you that you don't push us 
beyond the limits of endurance. Thank you that you build in a pattern of rest and restoration. And for those who are tired, for those who have been pushed too far, would you heal, restore, and build up again? Lord, for all of us, may our ears and our hearts and our minds be open to your call to take the next step. To move from where we are to where you want us to be. To be obedient to your call. To serve you in the place and the time and the manner of your choosing. Give us grace to keep moving forward. Give us hearts that believe and trust in you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.